Good morning. I'm Kelvin Thompson for, here at uh, UCF Center for Distributed Learning, and I'd like to welcome you to Engaging Online Students, Practical Interaction Strategies to Enhance Learning, part of UCF's Faculty Seminars and Online Teaching. Uh, we have warmed up the room for you. Uh, if you're joining us here physically, just so it's nice and toasty, and for those of you online, uh, you, you look for the uh, temperature control, you'll find it. Uh, our intention in each of these 30-minute seminars is to provide a brief treatment of a topic relevant to online teaching uh, while connecting our participants to an array of resources for more detailed follow-up. Today's seminar will be successful in our view if you walk away with at least one thing that you can put into action in your own online teaching. I'd like to acknowledge the uh, getting close to 20 folks who are joining us here face-to-face uh, -face in the room and, and 22 online and countless others who will join us asynchronously after today's <laughs> seminar is over. Uh, our online participants are in good hands, I should say, with Kipsi Aviles, who's our online moderator, and Scott Rapp, who's making sure that the, the lights are on virtually online. Uh, those of us here physically have found some items in our seat and online. Uh, Kipsi will direct you to the online analogs of these. And you'll let, you, you should find a, link, a short link URL to today's webpage uh, for today's session, which is where you'll find the virtual handouts and after the session, it's also where the archive recordings uh, will be available for later review. In the feedback form for today's session, I might mention as well, feel free to share any unanswered questions from today's session uh, or any relevant ideas or resources that you'd like to share with other people. And, and then we'll follow up with those and distribute those out after the, after the session. Also would like to mention, to those of you online especially, uh, turn off your cell phones and, and other <laughs> annoying devices so that it doesn't uh, distract from today's session. And you guys face-to-face -face can do that, too. Uh, please join me in welcoming today's speakers, Dr. Bai Wen Chen and Dr. Susan Wegman. Thank you, Calvin. And today, and Susan and I, we really like to share a lot of practices and templates and with everybody, both online and here and with the participants in the room. And we, however, we only have uh, 10 minutes for each person. And so we do have a pedagogical repository online so that you can always go back to check all the resources available. We have a lot of um, um, instructors, teaching faculty members shared their uh, teaching practices and ideas with us, like um, Susie, Brenda, and uh, Tusi, and, and also Kevin. So we all put all those different kind of guidelines, protocols, discussion prompts on the Teaching Online Pedagogical Repository. So you can always um, come back to the supporting materials and find the links to those resources. Okay. So I'm going to start my presentation with a question. What do you see as the biggest challenge for online teaching? So for the online and participants, if you can just do, and do, do the online poll, that would be great. And for um, participants here in the room, can you maybe just by showing of hands, do you think the failure of technology is the biggest challenge? Be the limited interactions with students? Okay, good. So we have a few. And my lack of technical expertise. Okay, we have a couple. And then we have a time commitment. Okay, good. And others? So it looks like the biggest um, challenge we, oh, I'm sorry about <laughs> online participants. <laughs> so, Kitty, what are the online participants? Um, most of them have uh, limited interactions with students. Oh, okay, good. 
Yes, and the most cited challenge for online teaching and learning is the problem of lack of interaction. Students that don't get a chance to face-to-face -face interact with their students' peer, they cannot interact with the teacher, the instructor. So the sense of isolation really um, do not motivate students, and they tend to, oh, yes, instructor. And others, would you say providing feedback is part of the interaction? Yes. Because that seems like a subset. Mm -hmm. My biggest challenge is providing feedback mm -hmm. on assignments. Yes. Yes, I, I would say that the lack of immediate feedback is part of the lack of interaction. So uh, students, they don't feel as motivated, and they just try to do the bare minimum in an online class. So uh, this question takes us right to the topic of our um, faculty seminar today, how to engage online students. And here um, is the community of inquiry model, and this is a way for us to look at online engagement. So there are three um, critical elements. The first one is the and cognitive presence. So this is where students they gain knowledge through um, reflections, through um, critical thinking, and they interact with the course contents. And the second element is the teaching presence, where um, the instructor um, design and facilitate online learning experience. So the students, they interact with the instructor. And the third element is the social presence, where um, students, they interact with other students' peers so they can collaborate with each other and, and they support and help each other. And this is also a very important element in a successful online experience. So a successful online experience uh, would involve the, a balance of the three elements all combined together. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, each element in more details. So for there are different strategies you can use to promote cognitive and presence in online. Um, for instance, you can help students to develop their critical thinking skills by online discussion. You can help them to develop and their um, and their skills by completing um, assignments, by um, completing a project. In web courses, and one of the tools that a lot of instructors use to um, help students do um, critical thinking skills and is um, doing assessments. So uh, for instance, in the face-to-face in -face environment, you get to see your students. So you see their eyes. You know when they get it or not. But how can you do that in an online environment? And self-test and practice tests could possibly uh, meet those goals. For instance, we do have some instructors create um, and some a large number of question data bank, or they can use question data bank from the publisher or from other open resources, and then they let students to complete the self-test and or practice test, and it's required. Students have to be 100% accurate, pass this self-test before they can move on to the next module. So this really helps both you and the students to gauge the major difficult concepts and to help you to uh, diagnose the misconceptions in the, in the course. So this is one strategy. Of course, there are a lot of other tools like concept mapping, e-portfolio, and peer, peer review. So again, we do have a lot of ideas and strategies we have posted on the on online teaching pedagogical repository. Just um, make sure to, to visit that site. And there's some supporting resources on the session website for today as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And the second element is the teaching presence. And in web courses, uh, we can and create personalized instructor introduction. So like what you do in your face-to-face -face environment, introduce yourself so your students get connected to you. And also we can do uh, weekly announcements. And the, the same is like what you do in a face-to-face environment. You come to class, you let students know what's going on in the class and what are the important events coming up. So those are the ways you can use in web courses. And there are a lot of alternative tools too. And screencast is reported to be one of the most beneficial tools to promote teaching practice. So um, screencast, if you are not familiar with, it is uh, videos of small chunks of videos, and uh, normally ranging from like one minute to five minutes, and of um, screen capture or narrated PowerPoints. So you can um, use that to demonstrate problem-solving process, explain difficult concepts, and you can demonstrate computer-based process, like how to use Excel to create a pivot table, so things like that. And we have we had really good success with screencasts with a lot of instructors and students too. And the last um, element is the social presence, and this is really important, but it's not easy to create in an online environment. So and. Um, when we have a good uh, sense of community, community and social presence in an online course, it usually um, promotes students' online satisfaction to promote students' um, participation in online and also ended up um, with a higher um, online success and uh, retention as well. And there are um, a lot of tools, both inside web courses and outside of web courses, that we can use to promote social presence. And one of the most, um, let, me, uh, let me ask you, so what do you think is the um, most frequently used tool to promote social presence? Um, discussions. discussions? Yes, you're right. Yes, discussions. And, and Calvin, he just did uh, a study. He surveyed 358 teaching faculty members here at UCF. And over 95% uh, of the respondents said that online discussions is included in their course. And almost 90% of them made an online asynchronous discussion as a required element in their class. And, but not all an online discussions are successful. Um, research show that some structure types work better than the others. And normally, the loosely structured discussions do not have any impact on students. And so when you design an online discussions, there are different factors for you to consider and how to and set up expectations, and uh, how to use guidelines or rubrics to evaluate the discussions. If you are teaching an online class, do you want to make it a group discussion, and how you can facilitate the online discussions with different roles for different students. And of course, uh, when you are designing um, the online social presence, you don't want it to be overwhelming to you or your students. So it has to be very um, carefully implemented so that there's no extra uh, um, workload for both the instructor and the students alike. So um, with that, and I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Susan Wackman, and she's going to share with you her um, strategies in facilitating online discussion. <coughs> Thank you, Bywin. And I love the idea that um, we're focusing on social presence for a reason, and teaching presence and cognitive presence, because you can't, I like the way you put it, you can't see their eyes when they're teaching. 
Um, I've been teaching online here at UCF for about seven years, and uh, all the while, and you're probably similar to what you do, I've, I've been tweaking what I've been doing with my discussion boards and trying to find what that really good fit for discussion structure in particular. And one of my um, you know, questions is, how do you measure engagement and participation online? How do you measure it? Any suggestions from the group here? There's criteria for critical thinking and argumentation that I often use as guidelines and rubrics. Nice. have to meet the criteria in their posting. So meeting a certain criteria within each posting and it has to do with critical thinking. And, and argumentation. Argumentation, fantastic. What else? How else do you measure? So you measure it by a final grade maybe at the end of a discussion post. That's one way. One way. Yeah. How else? Uh, people online said a lot of people were talking about discussions and sending images for engagement um, using rubric. Some of them have the students assess themselves and then they compare their assessments to what they, the students did themselves. Um, and also using the web course tracking tool to see you know, how active they are in their mm -hmm. online course. Yeah. So there's a variety of ways that we can look at it, but it's still to me very nebulous. What is participation? What is engagement? And so for the past few years, my colleague and I have been working on um, looking at the moves that students are making. And this comes from discourse analysis research. But seven years ago now, I did a study with one online student. I said, I want to get really deep and see what is this online student doing. And these were the types of things they were doing with their language, all the way up until about the the last few we, we just added, in fact, Kelvin and I worked on a project this, this semester to add blogging, and these were the added additional moves that came out of that, the last four. But So we see that students are doing a lot of things. They're questioning, they're wondering. Some of them are much more interesting than others. And I, I noticed when Tusi was speaking, you know, things like um, being able to provide an argument, drawing a conclusion after leading up to support. Those are really interesting things to do, but I want to say that things like uh, building rapport are also very important to do, of course, with online students, right? Because you want them to know not only building rapport with the professor, they need to build rapport with each other, especially if they're interacting with each other. So what a colleague and I in Texas decided to do was set out some moves that we thought, A, they're already happening, but then B, how do we look at these moves? And so what we came up with was this notion of participation and engagement. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this slide. These are the results of some of the, the research we've done, but particularly here. So we notice that when we have a high level of engagement and participation, then we see the sweet spot. And so my colleague and I have begun calling this the connected stance. And we're measuring engagement by the variety of those moves the students are making. If they use a variety of moves, we feel like they are engaged in the subject matter. They're questioning each other. They're challenging each other. They're wondering. They're giving information and building rapport and so on. So measuring those moves, measuring the variety of moves, involves taking a deeper look and coding and going through discussion boards, coming up with ideas. We measure participation at the moment with word count, seeing how many words students use. Now we could argue that students could have low engagement 
with a very much high level of words usage, right? I'm sure you've had students like that. <laughs> they just ha they don't seem to say much, but they're using a lot of words to do it. Or, unfortunately, at the lower end, we could have low engagement, low participation. They're not participating at all. They're not saying many words. They're not engaging. Um, this one is another little interesting quadrant, high engagement and low participation, meaning they say a lot of really good things. That, that's that person that whenever they speak, everybody listens, you know, because you know that what they're going to say is really important. So it's not feasible for online professors usually to take such a deep look at this idea and every class to make sure that their students are getting um, what they need to be giving, I should say, in discussions. So what I'm hoping is to give you some ideas, and, and uh, by Wynn and I both together, along with the, uh, the pedagogical repository, has some ideas. My colleague and I came up with what we call the 3R structure. We have students in groups of about six to eight. Um, I don't think any higher than eight or nine. I've had students in 10 and 11, and it was a nightmare. But six to eight numbers in, in each group. They respond to the prompt, then they react to each other, only those members in the group. So they have six or eight people to look at, to study, to, to make some sort of reaction to. And then they have to go back and reply to the people who reacted to them. So the three R pattern is respond, react, reply. Now this occurs in my course through about a week. They respond typically on a Monday or Tuesday. They have to react by Friday. And then they have to go back and reply to their peers by Monday. And it's built into my course calendar. And I know that sounds really structured, but what they're doing is very unstructured, meaning I try to give them a lot of freedom with how they're going to respond. So the questions are things like, what is the role of the teacher? Now, I'm in the College of Education, so that's a very logical question. But what is the role of the teacher? And these are content area people, so they are studying to be math and science and social studies teachers one day, they're in my literacy course. And so most of them come in saying, why am I in this literacy course? So I usually have to do a bit of convincing along the way. So by getting them in groups that are not homogenous, so they could be in groups with all kinds of majors, with all kinds of ideas about things. We have health and, and PE and art and music and then, of course, math, science, social studies. Then they have to respond to the prompt that I provide they react to their peers, and they reply to each other. So this is just one of a lot of different ideas you could take in terms of structure. Structure is important. What we found, my colleague and I in Texas found that when students were using the 3R pattern, their moves increased greatly. The number, the variety of moves, they were challenging each other, they were talking, they, they seemed to feel that social presence, that interaction. Just a second. But when students were in just an open-ended you know, um, you can reply to anybody you want. Most of the time, they never got to the second level. They never got to um, the third level, I should say, replying back to each other. There was not really good interaction that was sustained. So the three-hour pattern, again, is just one suggestion. And there was a hand. Uh, I think you actually understand that. I was, I was having a difficulty of what that looks like in web courses for react and reply. Responding to the prompt is pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah. Reacting to other students' response to the prompt. Right. And then those students replying to your reaction. Exactly. Okay. To their original reaction. Exactly. Yes, online? I have a question from uh, Dr. Bombach. How do you group the students? Ah, totally random. 
and <clears throat> some semesters I just go through the grade book in alphabetical order. Other semesters I really try to place different subject matter students together. Again, this is kind of an interesting class makeup, so question now. Question? How'd you grade it? I'm sorry? How, how are you grading? Oh, thank you. What a nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> I have a rubric, and what I do typically is give them, at the beginning of the semester, one or two open-ended discussion board prompts. But I give them the rubric that I'm going to use for this 3R pattern. And in the rubric, there are things like uh, reasoning. This is my, my most, to me, the most interesting piece of the rubric. And these are just the um, indicators on the left. I have, in fact, I think it's already up on the repository. Mm -hmm. um, all of the indicators for a zero and a one, I'm a zero and a three and a five, I believe. Um, but reasoning, can they use the content to explore an issue? Um, full credit, in, in, for my purposes, there's 10 points. And there's about, I think there are seven discussion boards. So it's, it's a decent chunk of their grade. Um, of course, I want them to understand the content. Of course, you know, they need to be involved in this interaction piece. Um, without this interaction with others on the rubric, I don't, I don't know how they would do. I don't know if they would respond and react as much as, as they should. Um, and then, of course, language conventions and mechanics. Um, but I'm always happy to share rubrics and share, you know, what, what you all are doing because I'm a, a, I just know that you guys have some ideas I haven't even thought about yet. So, yes, do you, do you apply this rubric to every discussion and every student? Every discussion board with every student. Yeah, yeah. I only have about 45 or so each section, so I don't have the mega sections. How long would I'm sorry. How Go long ahead. would you say it took you to apply this? <laughs> It takes a long time, and I've tried to streamline down to about two hours or so. I can get through 45, um, and that is, that is, I usually read the replies. Thank you for asking the question, the way of work. I usually read their initial replies as they're coming in, so I'm kind of getting those in my mind, you know, who said what and, and what are the kind of things they're going in, and I'll challenge them behind the scenes. I'll send them a personal email to say, I want to enlarge what you're thinking or tell me more about this because it's not quite clear, you know, it's not quite coming through. Um, and so I've done a good bit of the reading and then when I sit down to grade, which is, you know, you get a big cup of coffee and you just, you plow through it. But yeah, it takes about two hours um, for about 45 students. You can tell pretty quickly, this goes very fast. WebCourses does a great Thing when they you can sort by name, so you can just see who's responding, who's who's interacting. Um, language conventions, you know, that kind of jumps out at you. Mechanics as well. This is the piece, the reasoning piece, is the one that takes me the longest time. Are they doing this successfully? And uh, it's not enough to fail their grade in any of this, but it is enough to kind of give them a little. Mm. And I do notice students seeming to to, to step up and do a little better. Mm -hmm. I've taken one class in trauma and education. Uh, instructor where they, they wanted you to reply to two oh, other students. To two other students. So you were actually looking, you require them to respond to every so in, in, in group. a group of eight. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And is there a way to cordon that off within yes. web courses? Because I put I, them in, it's a little lengthy of to scroll down to find your group, but I do okay. put them in, yeah, by their name. And I say this group one, here you are, and these are your names. So That's great because I found that I, I ended up tending to go and read the same two or three people's because I realized some like-mindedness or some good cross-pollination of ideas. So, yeah. but as a result, I always felt like well, I'm not reading the other the other students as much. So a group, yeah. I think, would 
Just to be clear here, right? Because yes. in, in web courses, there's no in the discussion grading uh, mechanism that they have. There's no way to write a comment in there. You could put a norm, yes. like a number, not a comment. Yeah. So do you send them? What are you doing? Are you emailing them a sheet? With the, the first time that I officially grade the rubric, I use a grading form for the discussion board, and it's, it's linked together. Okay. And so they get. I, you know, the first time that takes me probably four to five hours, that very first discussion board. But I want them to get it at the beginning. Then the, the subsequent times, again, I use behind the scenes, just a quick email. You know how you can link to the email right from the discussion post if I see a problem. Um, and then also when students email back to say, why did I lose a point? Or, you know, what, what, what's going on with my grade here? Or whatever, as they do. Um, then I had the opportunity to go back and, and I've, I've copied and pasted what they've said before. I've showed them the rubric again. Um, I've even gotten on Skype to share my um, desktop and I uh, use Adobe Connect as well. Yes? I, I know the answer to this, but it's quite difficult from the groups are individual, right? Like they can't, one group cannot see the other groups. In my course, they can. They, oh, they can, can see okay. each other. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I know that you can set it up that way. I know we're already going on. Let me let me actually back up just one slide to. Uh, I think giving examples are also important. Um, when the students are given this three-hour pattern for the first time, I tell them sort of the here's an example and here's a non-example, and I have quite a bit of verbiage that they can go back to. They can refer to. This is what I'm looking for. So giving examples. Social networking is something I'm learning from my other colleagues, um, especially in the in the arena of tweeting and uh, Facebooking and, and things like that. I think it's important that we need to embrace what they're using. So if they're not tweeting, I don't think it's going to really, unless you say this is part of your grade and you need to tweet, then let's do it. Um, at the same time, I think there are other networks that they're using that we need to just find out about. Um, and again, that is increasing that social presence. I don't want to ever be guilty of taking something that's a really great idea and moving it into education and all of a sudden stifling creativity and stifling all the good stuff that comes out of it naturally. But if you haven't considered tweets, it's fascinating. If you follow Calvin, every once in a while he'll say, you know, um, whatever, whatever assignment is now graded. And even those little bursts of information I think are important and I think it helps develop um, online interaction and rapport. I know we've already kind of been doing this already. Are there any more questions from the online group? Um, Bill asked, um, or it's a statement, but I guess you can react to it. Um, another issue is that many online students are non-traditional, not 18, et cetera, that requires some different teaching approach, especially if they have a great deal of work experience in the course topic. Absolutely. Great point. And I think in terms of across campus, we would have variances on that same story. I think you know the, the issue is, Figuring out what's important in our classes, and for me, just what Tusi said at the beginning, that knowing they can take their content, knowing they can do something with it and reason with it, maybe they can um, you know, provide those, for me, a variety of moves, that's how I'm measuring it, then that's what's important. And with our, with our um, older than traditional students, I think that's something that we need to take into account as well. What are they using? What are they used to? Just so this is not lost, would you, would you back up to your um, your uh, X and Y axis slide for a second? If I remember correctly, um, and, and back up one more before this one. When you first did your three R stuff, if I remember correctly, uh, um, yes. students started uh, when they were when uh, the discourse analysis was 
coding happened, they were where the red dots are. Yeah. But after implementing the pre R strategy, they Thank ended you. up at the end where the arrow point is yes. uh, on this. So just there's one example of that structured strategy and and students move toward that upper right hand quadrant of connected stands. So yeah. right. and as they moved, we found that when they were participating more, because we gave them more opportunities to participate, they were also engaging more, using more moves. So looking at the moves in your class, I would just kind of challenge you. Take one student, maybe, one thread. Um, Can you repeat what Calvin was saying? Because the online participant cannot I'm hear. So him. sorry. Yes, let me back up to the this was a study that I conducted. Actually, there were um, several studies involved in this, but the red dot on this slide represents the first. It was an open-ended, just reply to whoever you want to, respond and then reply. But as they moved along the course, the arrows represent one of the three R patterns, one of the three R discussion board posts. And as they were responding, reacting, and replying to each other, they became much more engaged in the coursework according to their moves. Their move count increased tremendously. Now, I would expect their participation level because they had to write more, but their moves increased exponentially. Thank you. The, yes. the, in, in this study, this, the unit of analysis is the individual student, yes. or what is it? How many were there? It became the individual student. At this point, there were six. I know there was only four arrows there. There were six students that we looked at, high, middle, and low, from two different universities. Mm -hmm. And we did quite a bit of um, you know, making sure that they were representation. But um, we've also studied, one study we had 32, and we looked at it. was incredible um, amount of work to do that. But yeah, we looked at 32 students, and they all gravitated toward this high end, this connected stance. So, all right, I'm seeing that we need to be very aware of time. Thank you so much for the questions here. Kelvin, did you want to yeah, say anything? Yeah, make a couple of closing things. Would you mind going to that last slide? I know the contrast isn't, isn't great, but uh, I'll put up the, the, the session uh, URL uh, up, up there again, which uh, for everybody's benefit is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash online underscore engagement. You have that. Face-to-face uh, -face folks have that in your little sheet that was left for you, and online folks making sure that that's there. Um, and again, uh, please join me in thanking uh, Susan Bywood. <laughs> and uh, a couple things before we go. Um, first, uh, please do complete the session feedback form. Those of you face-to-face -face have that on paper. Uh, those of you online have a, a link to that. Um, this will help us to continue to improve each of these seminars. And again, if you have any unanswered questions, I know there were a couple hands right at the end, or ideas that you wish to share, or resources you wish to share, you know, you can include those right there in the feedback form of that, that, that comments area. Just, just put those in there, and we'll compile those and either respond to them or, or share them out depending on what's appropriate. And, uh, and again, uh, the URL here, this uh, bit.ly uh, online underscore engagement, uh, is the session webpage that contains uh, resources, the slides, and so forth from today's session. Uh, the references that Susan and Bywin mentioned, um, uh, both of them also mentioned the pedagogical repository. There are entries from the, from the pedagogical repository that go in much greater detail on uh, online interaction, teaching strategies, um, and so forth. And that's where the audio and Adobe Connect recordings for today's session will be for later review. Uh, and I'll send you out a, a follow-up email with a link to that site as well. Please do look for future seminars in coming semesters. And again, on that feedback form, if you have ideas for topics that you'd like us to address, please include those in the feedback form, and we'll, we'll consider those and, and develop those. And if you're interested in, in uh, partnering with us to present a session, 
put that in there too, and we'd, we'd be happy to hear it. Um, thanks again, and I'll take this one question, and we'll be just jumping. Wait, what is the, can we just do online? <laughs> you can, you can if you use the, uh, uh, really long address. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it that you know it. I'll send you out if you prefer to do that. Not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. Um, just your captive audience right now. Some of you, if you don't fill it out in paper, will never hear it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, and you have a great day. Thank you.